to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Nice. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, it's going. I'm leaving town in 12 days. Yeah? Counting down? Uh, something like that. <laughs> Any specific places you need to make sure you hit before you go? You're going to, like, one last stop at the Croissanterie? Like that? No, Toronto doesn't really have places like that. I don't know. I just know that, you know, if I, because I, I only was very briefly in Toronto, so I have stronger memories of Montreal, and if I were leaving Montreal, I would make sure that I grabbed one other one of those uh, almond croissants. Yeah, that place doesn't exist anymore, so. <sighs> that made me so sad when that happened. Uh, okay, yes. okay. But I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fun, you know, your last, last couple weeks of life in the big city. Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Oh, man, you're just, you're killing it. <laughs> Clearly, no, it's, it's you and your, your terrible early Canadian Thanksgiving. You didn't have any pie this last week, and so That's you're true. all you're right. bummed it's, out. It's, it's just pie deprivation. I think there's there needs to be some research in the medical community about that. <laughs> I think it's a thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's just me. But uh, let's, uh, we, let's move on to a more cheery topic of our feedback from everyone. We heard from a bunch of you guys this week on Twitter and Facebook and all of that. Manuel says uh, The Return is the best TV series at the moment, and Black Mirror's last episode is crazy good. I'm curious if if you mean the last episode of season one or the last episode of season two. So, Manuel, if you're listening, uh, drop a line with that, because I, I, I want to know if there's, there's like a particularly great episode I should be looking forward to at the end of season two, or if you're talking about uh, the one that I've already seen. So, I want to you know, rejigger my expectations. As for the return, we're going to talk about that a lot this week. Yes, we... Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there? Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Beth watched all of Le Revenant in one day because uh, she wanted to immerse herself in the show and its atmosphere, and so we talked a little bit about that, and uh, also geeking out a little bit about The Good Wife's 100th episode. Yes, wait, well, evidently The Good Wife also geeked out about having a 100th episode as evidenced by the episode, but again, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, talked a little Doctor Who with Dan. Thank you very much, Dan. That was very helpful. Uh, talked uh, with Amari about binge-watching. He's watch He's finishing up The Blacklist, uh, and he's apparently uh, all caps done with hostages. And I'm, I I saw a promo for hostages. Remind me, did you watch the pilot? Oh, hell no. Yeah, when, when I saw the promo that featured Tony Collette kissing her hostage taker in the premiere... Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I, I did the right thing by jumping ship with that one. So uh, I, I feel like I want to look up a plot synopsis so I can sort of see what they did to that. Are you, are you morbidly curious at all? No, no, I only get morbidly curious about shows I've actually spent some time watching. Okay, fair enough. Mario, let us know if uh, if you're enjoying the the blacklist. I've fallen away from it. I don't really miss it that much. Let me know if there's something I'm missing there. Uh, Ricky, Randy, and I talked some hidden gems of 2013. What are the shows that you think our listeners, if they haven't 
you know, if they somehow, if maybe if they're recent joiners to the Televerse listenership or, or just they've uh, missed some of our episodes, what are the shows that people should be seeking out here in, during these uh, weeks of hiatus, you know, if they want to really get a sense of what the best shows of 2013 are? I mean, in terms of stuff that people aren't already talking your ear off about, I, I think the big ones are probably Southland and Rectify. Uh, especially Rectify, because that's actually, you get to start it on the ground floor in that one, whereas Southland can be slightly confusing, although not that confusing. Um, I don't know. Uh, the Adult Swim stuff is always fun, and like, you know, Children's Hospital on TSF, and I would add Eagleheart to that list, actually, which I have been watching but not talking about, and it's been absolutely insane. Um, while shaving, that's all I have to say. Um... I don't know. What, what what else leaps out to you? Well, the one that's currently very fresh in my mind is Spartacus, because, of course, Ricky D, our general editor over at Sound of Sight, is, I believe, did he finally watch the finale? I'm not sure yet. I know he'd gotten up to the finale and was quite excited about it. Yeah, so that's been in, fresh in my mind. I've been thinking about Roman blood on f***ing snow, which is always fun. Uh, uh, and so, and again, it's a show that nobody, at least that I know, is talking about, except for me. I'm talking about it a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one that comes to mind. Then, of course, Justified. Yeah, but I, I feel like... We, everybody knows I, about every, Justified. Everyone knows Justified is awesome. Justified is a show that's actually watched by people, unlike a lot of other good unlike, shows we talk about. Yes, that is that is true. So, so uh, let us know what your favorite shows are of 2013 that we haven't discovered, maybe. What are the ones that we should, you know, and you know what I find hilarious, the fact that at the end of the year and not a single person is talking about Arrested Development as one of the best. That was the thing that happened this year, guys. Yeah, it's amazing how forgettable that was 95% of the time. Yep, pretty much. Um, and then the last, uh, let's see, we, I also heard from Carl who says I should get his TARDIS stress ball uh, to help uh, cope with the, the too much good TV stress at the end of the year here. And uh, also, we t I talked a little bit about Walking Dead spoils spoilers with Hayate, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. On the Sound of Say Walking Dead podcast this week, Rick mentioned that a character that we already know is dead, and a character that it is implied is dead, died in the comic. Is that a spoiler? Because we don't, we haven't seen the body... So they theoretically could not be dead on the show. Um, it's tricky. I think it's kind of a spoiler, if only because Kirkman is basically the secret showrunner. Uh-huh. Secret showrunner. And I think, I don't know. I think knowing that they were that they didn't have a problem killing off that character in the comic does signal something about intention. So it's kind of an oblique spoiler, but I wouldn't get upset about it. Yeah, uh, the thing that I mentioned is that this character makes production very difficult, and so I just sort of assumed that character was a goner eventually, it was a matter of when. But keep in mind, like, how much have they actually had that character on screen? Not nearly as much as... As realistically the character should be, yes. Um, so, <laughs> it's getting difficult to keep this spoiler-free, so... But it's an interesting conversation, and if uh, if we... Spoiled you at all, Hayate. We profusely apologize. We don't want to be those people. Um, and we'll be even more vigilant about that moving forward. But I figured I should mention it here at the top. Because it's an interesting conversation. It's something where... Yes. 
True Blood diverges a lot more, so you don't have to really worry about spoilers for that. And Game of Thrones is following even closer. Yeah, and Walking Dead somewhere in between. Yeah, it's interesting. Anyways, uh, those are your comments from you guys uh, this week. Had a lot of fun talking with you guys. Always feel free to drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook or email or any of that good stuff. We'll have contact information at the end of the show. We're going to be talking at the end of the show as well with Kyle Anderson from The Nerdist about Freakazoid, which is now going to be stuck in my head, that theme song. And uh, I... Nah. <laughs> it's a good one, though. If you're going to have a theme song stuck in your head, it's a good one. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun, so I hope you guys enjoyed that segment uh, at the very end. Um, but for now, let's take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in comedy. Derek Your neck hair makes me weak. Hey, that's you. Yeah. Won't you enter my Acropolis and make my yogurt In comedy, we have South Park, Black Friday, and A Song of Ass and Fire, Adventure Time, Root Beer Guy, Bob's Burgers, Purple Rain Union, The Rick and Morty Pilot, and we're also going to talk a little reality in this segment and look at The Amazing Race. But first, I figured I'd mention South Park's, the first two uh, installments of their Game of Thrones trilogy. We, ass- we assume it's a trilogy. They could do spend the rest of the season on it if they feel like it. They really could. That's a good point. It's a good point. Um, so I caught up with these. And they're fun, but I'm really not understanding all the hype. I, I, I may have laughed out loud twice in these two episodes total. And, and that's, not, that's not a high percentage for me. Uh, but I did enjoy the Garden of, De- of Deceit or, or Betrayal, the Garden of Betrayal. Yes. That was a, that's a fabulous re- recurring gag, and I hope to see it at least once more. And uh, there's there's some fun the, the like the eye scar patch was a nice little reveal, but in general it's I feel like they've done much better parody and reference sort of things and they've also like whenever I think of like their their multi multi episode sort of story arcing you know developments I always think of Imagination, Imagination Land. Land yeah and this is no, so far below that line. You, sir, are no imagination land. Which is really, it's not fair. They're in season 17. The fact that they're doing something interesting at all is quite a feat. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that the, the third or, or however many concluding episodes bring up the average a little bit here. Now that I've thought about those sort of past two and three episode runs, I'm wondering sort of if they're going to land on some kind of conclusion not just obviously for the story, but you know, the South Park it, it can can be kind of a a finger wagging experience, although not much recently. So I'm curious to see if they're going to come down you know, on one side or another in terms of Black Friday hysteria. Not that I expect them to resolve the console wars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but tell us about Adventure Time. Uh, <laughs> I love Adventure Time. I rarely talk about it on the show, but I wanted to mention this week that. Lately, they've been doing a lot of one-off episodes because, you know, they've got a 52-episode season. That's insane. So... <laughs> that is crazy talk. With very few breaks. Yeah, they it's yeah it's ridiculous. They work on many, many episodes at the same time, apparently. So they've been just sort of shunning the 
big mythology stuff lately, which is not too bad. They've been doing all, all sorts of fun one-off episodes, and this week's was no exception. It was called Root Beer Guy. It was kind of a noir-slash-detective story uh, satire with a lot of fun little character beats featuring a character we've never seen before and probably will never see again. Uh, and it was... I find that when they do that, they're actually usually going for something a little bit more bittersweet, but this was more sort of optimistic and fun and had a nice button at the end. So that was unusual for them, but I always love Adventure Time pretty much, so I wanted to give it some love. How about Bob's Burgers, Purple Rain Union? You know, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit there because you mentioned something and I think it's absolutely true. I think they need to cool it with the music a little bit, just a little bit. It feels like it's happening in every episode now. Yeah, it, we were talking about this before we started to record, and obviously anyone who's listened to the Televerse for a few weeks will know that I love when shows that I enjoy have awesome, entertaining songs in them, and we're going to get to Treme in a little bit. Um, but but Bob's Burgers, it feels now like it's become a crutch for them. Yeah, you know, Like you said, it seems like almost every episode there is a song of some sort, and when they first started doing that, the songs were, it was a new idea for them, and the songs were uh, far more spontaneous and fresh. Now it feels like they have to tick that box in every episode. And uh, I want some time off from musical segments. That feels so wrong to say. <laughs> no, but it's. I think it's true. I think longtime viewers of the show would probably agree with you for the most part. But yeah, other, other than that, it was a fine episode, but that... I, I, I had this, I've, I've had the same thought over the last few weeks. Let's move on to the pilot for Rick and Morty, which people will be excited about, uh, if only because it's co-created or, or produced by Dan Harmon. The pilot is up. If For those who don't have Cartoon Network, the pilot's up on YouTube, so you can check it out there. Uh, what did you think? Oh, I wanted to like this because it was co-created by this guy, Justin Roiland, who also does the voices for Rick and Morty. And many years ago, did you ever happen to see House of Cosby's? No, I did. I have not. <laughs> Many years ago, he did a series for Channel 101 uh, called House of Cosby's, which was about a guy who just loves Bill Cosby so much that he needs his own Cosby. So he gets a strand of Cosby hair, he makes himself a Cosby, and then he just ends up having a whole house of Cosby's who are all different. Bill Cosby wasn't too happy. Well, Bill Cosby's lawyers weren't too happy about it, so they only got a few episodes out, but it was hilarious and awesome. And I've never really seen him do anything since, and that was so long ago. But, oh, this isn't very good. I think, for me, whatever conceptual and execution problems it may have, my biggest problem is just the vocal design of the two main characters, especially Rick. You know, he's meant to be this alcoholic who's always hiccuping and burping and stuttering and, you know, never finishing a thought without something wacky happening in his voice. And I personally just found it, agonizing to listen to is that just me no but the the issue i had with it was less just the sound design or the the vocal design of the character but more it's a constant reminder that this is a terrible terrible grandfather who's ruining his grandson's life and i'm supposed to be enjoying their adventure and i'm not yeah which again like i'm sure we've talked about this in the context of all kinds of comedies, new comedies, old comedies, whatever, you can get away with a lot if you're funny. And I, I may have had like a baseline chuckle once or twice, but I don't really, but they're not, I can't remember them now. And you're shaking your head at me as though to say you didn't even get that. Yeah, I didn't even laugh. I didn't laugh once. I didn't even chuckle. Uh, I just, 
I, I, I couldn't get away from this as a grandson who is stressed out, exhausted, and uh, failing in his regular life in a big part because his alcoholic, emotionally abusive, incredibly selfish grandfather is destroying his life and his parents don't seem to care or notice. And I have a big problem with characters that selfish. And so uh, this was not going to be fun for me. I do think there's a lot of really great creature design, though, when they go through the multi-dimensional sort of airport. That was actually really great. But I'm like, I'm supposed to be cheering, I guess, for this kid who's killing people because he doesn't really know better and because his grandfather tells him to. I mean, you put a gun in a, in a child's hand and say, shoot at the cops coming to get us. And I'm supposed to like that i'm thinking too much clearly yes i i don't think they ever intended for for you to get to this stage yeah well then they should have been funnier hey oh anyways that's our week in comedy what is uh the winner this week for you what's the highlight oh i'll give it to adventure time for sure um see i didn't watch adventure time so it's a little trickier for me i i, I also watched new girl and brooklyn 99 and uh mindy i guess I did really like the Mindy wedding episode, but I guess I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine because they did do that cliched, nobody has a Thanksgiving to go to, so they go to the work Thanksgiving thing. They did it pretty well, so I'll give it to, to Brooklyn Nine-Nine this week. I was a little disappointed with Bob's, I gotta say. Um, for our week in reality, we have one show, which is Amazing Race. We're, next week is our two-part finale. I'm in fifth place, still one point behind Mario. Mario... Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm enjoying, I enjoyed this episode, and I'm cautiously optimistic about the finale. Uh, where are you with the show at this point? Uh, well, you've been keeping closer track of when finales happen. Like, I didn't realize that next week was the finale until we got the preview for next week. So I should have figured out that this was non-elimination. So I was really excited to see the Afghanimals come last, but no. Yeah. Uh, 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 they're so annoying. Although it would have been funny if they had chosen the other challenge first and then would have had to shave. But, um... Yeah, I, I just couldn't believe they get there and they're like, oh, we have to shave. That would take forever. Let's go back to this endless sea. <laughs> um, it's like, that's ridiculous. Just say you don't want to shave your beards and have that, you know... If that's why, it's a shallow, stupid reason. But at least be honest about why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, Tim and Marie were really, really hilarious in this episode, I have to say. First of all, Marie's inability to understand that, at, at least at first, that hard-boiling eggs entailed putting them in the water. <laughs> I don't... Okay, if you don't know how to boil an egg, that's one thing. But if you don't know how to boil anything... Yeah. What? What's wrong with you? But thankfully, she figured it out, and thanks to her overcooking instincts, got through it. But, yeah. Oh, man. I find their dynamic so hilarious. I, 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 th I think we would all like to think that when this is over, they're just like, no one else in life is ever going to put up with either of us. Let's just let's give it another shot. <laughs> yeah, they were a lot of fun this week. And I like that while, uh, while they clearly are making some mistakes, and uh, I, I enjoyed the glee that the other teams had upon realizing it was a food challenge and that that was going to be terrible for Marie. That was pretty great. <laughs> Uh, I, but they also show really good instincts, you know, when Marie's like, no, there should be other people here, this isn't the right spot, and they, they pretty quickly, on the, on the scheme of things, figure it out and, and, and then, you know, go to the right place. Moments like that, I, I think, are, are nice to have when you get towards the end of, of a season. You want the teams that are left to not be making, you know, maybe they get tripped up by something, 
but they also are still good competitors. They are extraordinarily good at getting lost, though. They're very good at that, but they catch back up. They, like Marie, like you said, she's the only one who act cor- correctly cooks, overcooks her her eggs. I gotta say, the first that first batch of hard boiled eggs looked delicious, and they were you know, like all undercooked by the standards of the people there. And I'm like, no, just a little bit of salt, just like. With the, the, on some toast, it'll be delicious. Um, so, so you know, she's the only one who got that challenge right the first time. And there are some other ways in which they're still proving themselves to be um, in this, you know. And so to have four fairly evenly matched teams, I think, works pretty well. What did you think of the makeup challenge? Uh, I thought it was pretty hilarious. I, especially, uh, I, I really like Jason and Amy this week. It was nice to see them finally win. And... Um... I, it's also too bad we didn't get to see the Epic Animals try on that challenge, just because I think the visuals would have been pretty hilarious. These seemed like they were pretty clearly not going to do it, because heaven forbid boys in makeup. Can you hear my eye roll? <laughs> I loved Phil's remark <laughs> upon seeing Travis at the finish line. It could have been mean-spirited, but it was just true. And they were all there in it together, too. That you know, I felt so bad. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that between Travis and Nicole... Travis was clearly the better one at the makeup, and maybe because maybe because Travis's face was being more difficult than Nicole's face yes. was being, so she was easier to make up. But still, like, you know, when we get to that challenge, and Amy's like, "Oh, I got this beauty pageant experience!" Like, damn, we're done. Like, and and Jason is the one who looked the best out of all of them. Amy did a good <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, also, Marie assessing, uh, makeup, you'll be fine, in, in, in reference to Tim. I, and, and he was. It was good. Yeah. You know, again, showing good savvy. But, like, just as soon as, as, soon as they got to the, that and saw, like, the, the expanse of fields they had to search or whatever, rows of tea leaves they had to search, and they were looking for one of four shears, no, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah. And was it just me, or is there, has there been a lot of cross-dressing this season? There's been a couple. Yeah, a couple of instances. Because uh, you had the... Well, it, it wasn't ne- required cro- cross-dressing, but if there were two guys, the one had to cross-dress for the yeah. for the polka challenge. And then it was in this one. I think that's it, right? I feel like there was something else, but I could be wrong. Anyway, I, I always enjoy challenges like that, the, sort of the way it's instructive to watch the way people react. Definitely. So, uh, what wins your week in reality? Come on now. Yeah, okay. We'll uh, take a break and come back with our week in drama. drama we have masters of sex fallout the good wife the decision tree and treme yes we can can so masters of sex what did you think 
It's funny. I watched this twice, and the first time I wasn't so hot on it, and I started writing my review, and then I sort of took a... I, I slept on it and returned to it the next day and watched it again and finished my review. And by the second viewing, I actually felt better about it, although there's still some things I don't like. Let's not even mention Ethan until the finale. Let's just do that. Let's yep. come back to that later because I don't want to beat any... I don't want to punch any dead horses in the face. But the... I will say that I wasn't crazy about the central device of the uh, of the attack raid. It was too familiar. I feel like every period show movie book ever is used has used that as some kind of metaphor or delivery device for people sort of getting their real feelings out i i i I sort of always find it clunky and annoying but virtually everything else i generally liked the the shot of alice and janney just sort of clutching barton's pajamas was really really hard to watch and they kept on it as long as humanly possible which i think was the right decision as much as they they milked it for all it was worth, I never really got tired of the of the visual of Jane and her combat helmet. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh, what else? What else happened? What else did we have? Well, we had the pregnancy. I like that they that they brought that up because that would have to be a something that that could happen if you're doing this. You're having this many couples have this much sex eventually. Right. Yes, and a certain amount of diaphragm failure. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, I th- I think that the they did a really good job of drawing a very clear line of this is how, you know, like the clearly like William and Virginia are a team, but when it comes to an issue like this, it falls strictly along gender lines because they just don't see, you know, when she says to him after he says, if the tables were turned and she's like, if he were pregnant, he just doesn't understand that there's no equivalency here and there can't be. And, even someone as as supposedly as enlightened as him still can't work that out, and it's still about ass covering for him and for Austin. I think they did it. It, it was hard, it was brutal, but it felt honest. Yeah. Well, and again, the I, there's valid argument on on Bill's side in that they did all agree to this. However, he's also full of shit. Yes. <laughs> and saying that giving Austin the information takes the option away from him because he knows... Because he's trapped, is the word he uses. Trapped by knowing that he got a woman pregnant. Either he doesn't know and therefore he doesn't have an option because he doesn't know, or he knows and he has the option to feel bad about it, even if he would. I don't know. Austin's a little, you know, questionable on that. Or, 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 or you know, do something about it and, and help out. The, just the, the whole approach there from Bill is so clearly biased from his perspective it's just you know it was it was an interesting development interesting thing to bring in and i like that we got to see ann dudick in that role i'd like to see her back again i enjoy that actress um who do you think actually got the worst news austin or or mrs scully oh mrs scully come on there's no comparison (laughs) not even a little bit uh but i I thought that her handling of or her reaction to that was was nice and also i just gotta say elson jane is looking fabulous on this show i love the the hair and makeup that they're giving her i like you know they're really you know she looks really great and i like that they're letting her have that while she's Mm -hmm. trying to figure all the stuff stuff out it tells us a lot about her how she chooses to comport herself yeah, I, I have to shame the show for just a moment. That line about, can you imagine Dick Nixon as president? No. No. Don't do that, Masters of Sex. Please Come don't. on, you're better than that. Yeah. 
Any other thoughts on this episode? What? Do, oh, I guess the only other thing for me is I'm going to quit and join Julian Nicholson's team. That's going to be undone so quickly. Is that, do you know, is that based on based on true or is that... Uh... Well, I mean, her character's an invention, so... So, no. So yeah. They may have had some rows like this at some point, but... Yeah, you're right. It's going to be. I mean, I I think if they have to have a detour before they resolve things, then have then pairing her up with Julianne Nicholson is probably one of the better ones they could do. And I did like all her scenes this week of trying to be sexy and, and normal, and yeah, <laughs> it just fails so harshly. Uh, she's so good in that role. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of stuff to like. A couple things that are annoying, and really hoping they sort the if they can get those nagging things that you know are bothering us fixed by the end then it's it's got a shot for top 20 okay okay um good wife the decision tree 100 episodes good for them and they were not subtle about celebrating it at all were they no that was fun um but then i was immediately taking out of it taken out of it because i have driven in chicago a lot and you couldn't go 100 on those streets it wouldn't (laughs) work um, so, so that actually did take me out of it quite a bit. The, 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 you know, look, I'm assuming that was location shooting. Uh, they, they sent someone in a car in Chicago town, you know. And so that was nice. It's always nice when there's a little touch of what feels like actual Chicago. They've been doing more of that recently, I've noticed. Yeah, and it's appreciated. The best one was when they had just put Josh Charles in some running clothes and had him run by the lake. I was like, oh, look, they remember where they're supposed to be set. <laughs> where the show is set, yes. <laughs> what did you think, though? How, how did they do? Um, it was mixed. Whenever they have a pivotal episode, they tend to refocus more on the relationships and less on sort of courtroom drama, which I feel like the show has a mixed track record on. Maybe that's just me. I did. I, I think the whole conception of Will sitting down and thinking through his testimony and thinking about her possible responses, and then we see Alicia in white, but it's fake head Alicia. Like that whole device was great. Like those those scenes were really good. But I think by the end of the episode, I felt like I was kind of over thinking about Will and Alicia as a couple and sort of how that makes them feel. I feel like we've had enough of that for quite a while. I hope they put that on the back burner again for like another ten episodes or something. That's that's not gonna happen. Just, yeah, just they, they, there's so much there's just so much else going on. Yeah, that's true. But this is a straight-up revenge-burned lover story right now. Obviously, they can focus on Diane, who doesn't have that element to it. But, no, he's hurting, and he's hurting because of their relationship. That is why he is hurting so much. And so, we'll see. But I would be very surprised if if that went away completely for ten episodes. Maybe, like, two. But not ten. That's just not going to happen. I'll take five. (laughs) I actually really liked all of those scenes. I thought they worked really well. And just the whole, uh, you know, obviously he imagines her in white. She remembers wearing purple. He remembers her wearing red. You know, there's, so there's there's a lot of really fun things. I When I heard that John Noble was going to be back on the show, I was like, they, they killed him, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought they actually did a good job uh, of, of bringing him back. I liked it because could, that could have been any former you know, client. So I like that it was, that was him and the way it was structured worked well. Uh, I also, this episode made me, I've I've decided that the reason they gave Alicia bangs at all, it was a very deliberate choice because they knew that they were going to have her and Will together and then they were going to break them up 
and then she wouldn't have bangs anymore. And so then whenever they did flashbacks, we would know that it was during when they were dating if she has bangs. I'm convinced that it was all a plan, and that is awesome. Well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I find it interesting, the decision that when they were together, we saw almost none of it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we're only seeing it in flashback. Yeah. Which is highly disorienting. <laughs> well, I, I think we got a good sense of it while it was while that relationship was going on, um, just in their in their performances. But we, you're right, we weren't seeing the scenes of the two of them together because we were busy seeing them at work or seeing her with her family, and and, and so they didn't spend the time on that. And so yeah, having them flashback to that now is a different. You know, we're not used to seeing them together because we didn't really see them together. Uh, but it's it's really working for me and. Uh, I really enjoyed, I mean, for me, the centerpiece of this whole episode was that cross-examination first, you know, he doesn't even imagine that children just say yes. I, I love that. And uh, also, you, our, our reviewer at Sound on Sight, Jordan, pointed out the head Alicia is weaker and s stupider <laughs> than yeah. actual Alicia. And, but, but then also that Josh Charles, uh, Will, is not satisfied with head Alicia. He says, I don't like you when you're weak. Because... Head Alicia isn't as good as real Alicia, and I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's hard to simulate something if you can't quite get a grasp on how it functions. Yeah, exactly. So I, that really worked for you. What did you think about all the rest of it? So we had Kalinda, we had Jordana Spiro showing up, who I always enjoy, but I thought was kind of... I'm, if she's going to stick around, they need to make her more interesting. I don't know. I think she's potentially kind of interesting. She didn't get a whole lot to do this week, but the idea that... I don't know. I, I, the idea of Kalinda pairing up with a cop, I think, has some interesting potentialities. And I, I, I think they know. I, I, I think they did this on purpose that they had Colin Sweeney on the guest list, but he didn't show up. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like it's it's them acknowledging, yeah, we may have driven that character into the ground. <laughs> what, did you like uh, Donna Brazil showing up and uh, then the whole Amon Bishop thing? Uh, that was all right. It, remind me what her act, wh who she is again in real life. She's involved with the DNC. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, that stuff was fine. She's clearly having a blast. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was a good episode. Uh, I, I was disappointed that they completely dropped the cliffhanger from last week. And then I, I very much enjoyed We got to talk about just quickly that spit take at the end. Alan Cummings spit take was so good. <laughs> that was one of the greats. There, there are certain like comedic tropes that you think are just dead and no one should ever do again. And the spit take is one of them. And then we're given a gift like this one. And you realize there's still, you know, there's still juice in, in that joke. Yeah. And I also, I'm not sure why they decided that Melissa George's character was just going to be straight up comic relief, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I am too. I'd like if we got more of a sense. I'd like if she had more character traits. She feels a little uh, cartoonish. Yeah, right now her main character trait is pregnant. And that that's a little, you know disconcerting for me because they don't have an, a a single male character defined by their reproductive parts i guess right so i, I don't know it's a little disconcerting for me as, with my with my you know my feminism lens or whatever that i view all my television through but i'll take comic relief over unnecessary drama yes definitely certainly i 100 percent agree with that any other thoughts on the good wife or shall we move on to treme Let's do that. Oh, man, I was just was getting misty just watching the previously ons and then the, when the 
the credits start and they, the the theme song kicks in and and I'm like aware that this is the last ever Treme premiere. I was getting all emotional. I was I'm so glad to have the show back. Yeah, and it 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 feels like it almost feels like a slight, but I feel like Treme never changes an iota. Mm-hmm. You no, know, you you watch five seconds of it and it's like oh I'm watching Treme and it's indistinguishable stylistically and in terms of you know character design and music etc from any other episode and that's great because you wouldn't want it to be any other way if you've been watching the show and like what it's doing the i like that they've decided to um i think that they decided to fast forward a significant amount so that you know enough to shake up the character relationships uh, I'm sorry. I have to just interrupt because I've I've been looking through the Treme Wikipedia page. Candy Alexander is 56. Yeah. Okay. That's all. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, wow. Anyway, uh, and having her share scenes with Clark Peters more, I think, was obviously a great idea. Uh, all the day, it feels like Steve Zahn is sort of the secret star of the show now because he's involved with the most characters and shows up in the most scenes, and I think that's a perfectly wise decision because Davis is a great character and he's both easy and difficult to root for at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Difficult because you know, ultimately most, most of these things aren't going anywhere, even if he knows whether or not he knows it and uh, having him strike up a, uh, a friendship with real estate guy. Who's the one character whose name I'm never going to learn. Nelson. Um, Nelson. Nelson. Yeah, that sounds right is potentially interesting. I'm curious to see if they're going to actually go anywhere with that or if that's just going to be a one-off. And yeah, obviously great music. And definitely I feel like it's going to make us cry a lot in a few episodes. Yeah. Oh, I already, I don't, you know, this is one where I, I, I didn't rush to watch it. I actually watched, watched it last of the things that I had to, to watch. I had a, you know, I didn't get to it until, until later on Monday. And 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 it was because I knew that once I started it, I would be starting the last season of Treme, and I kind of didn't want to, you mm-hmm. know? I wanted to still have that, but uh, but now I want to watch all of it and just have a big emotional cry and say goodbye to these characters. I, I, I was thinking about Treme in relation to Boardwalk Empire this week, because both have sprawling stories with way too many characters, let's be honest, and... Yeah. Uh, you know, very specific visual and stylistic touches. And I was trying to decide why Treme works for me leaps and bounds over Boardwalk Empire. And I think there's a few things that the show does that are real, really important and that really make it come together. First of all, this episode has the, just the, the plot tie of the election. And so when we're seeing all these different characters, we're seeing how they are responding to the same event. So everyone is dealing, at the beginning of the episode, everybody is voting, everybody's reacting to or not reacting to the election. And then later, we have a character like Davis, who ties in with all of these different threads and provides a very important just tie, connecting all these characters together and making it feel like a community. We don't have anything like that on Boardwalk Empire. And so everybody feels too fractured and completely separated. And so even just that one character who knows Annie and who, who knows uh, Desatel and, and who knows uh, 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 Antoine Baptiste and, and just the fact that the one is the other is X. And it, they, they really put together a sense of community that I think is absolutely lacking for Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, well, I mean, they're so, they're so hard to compare because Boardwalk Empire is 
sort of a genre show. Like it, it clearly hews very closely to this to the conventions of a mob drama, as well as the uh, in a, in a strange way, it's sort of the standard operating procedure prestige drama, if that makes any sense, or HBO drama. Whereas Treme is operating in a mode of social realism that's completely different aesthetically in terms of writing, in terms of casting, in terms of everything. Everything is completely different. So I, I wouldn't really think to compare them other than the ways you mentioned. But I, I think this, the the connectivity is something that they weren't necessarily doing at first. I feel like that's been a bigger component of, of this season and last season. And that they brought those threads together very tentatively. Like, I remember having a hard time even with the first season because it seemed like it was so disparate. So I'm glad they've done a better job with that. I'm just curious what, because I feel like, especially in the early parts of the season, Treme is sort of just a collection of moments. I was curious, because for me, the standout moment of this episode was, for some reason, Baptiste and his student and Sonny mm -hmm. talking about what they were going to do about his <laughs> little problem, because that was just too funny. Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, I like when they, again, Sonny is one of those characters that has been a problem for me, and uh doesn't help when you put him with Annie and you have him being an asshole, because when Annie cries, we cry. So, yes. so you know, taking him away from that and putting him on a more stable ground and then letting him, you know, be, you know, entertaining musician guy with Antoine is that, that really works for me. And so that was really good. I just, you know, I love Candy Alexander and Clark Peters together. I, I think, you know, they finally had that scene together last season. It was like a culmination of like the two most badass characters on this show uh, having sitting down for a coffee and you're like, how has this not happened yet? And I think the show knew what they had in that in that pairing, and so that's why that's why uh, um, uh, Ladonna is uh, divorced now <laughs> because they're like, we can't split her up with Clark Peters. They're too awesome together. So sorry, husband, who was very supportive during the attack. I, yeah, I was. I, I, I did feel bad for the husband because he seemed like a sweet a sweet fellow. Yeah, but, he was a good yeah, guy. But you're no Clark Peters, sir. But you're no Clark <laughs> Peters. No, no. We'll see we'll see where it all goes. I'm a little disappointed that they're just kind of skipping over cancer. Um, but uh, Well, it's Treme. Anything's possible. That's could true. Come back. That's I feel true. like it will, and I feel like it's going to just mess all our shit up. Yeah, probably. Oh, God. That just Okay, no. Putting it out of my mind. Okay. What wins your week in drama, sir? I'll give it to Treme. Treme, definitely Treme. Oh, I love it so much. And and I also really, really enjoyed The Good Wife and had a lot of fun with Masters of Sex as well. So that is saying something, yes. unlike our reality pick of one out of one. Yes. <laughs> so now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre.
This week in genre, we have Grimm, El Kukui, Almost Human Skin, and Are You Receiving, The Walking Dead, Too Far Gone, Black Mirror, The Entire History of You, and Les Revenants, Serge et Tony, Lucy, Adele, and the name to the last episode is actually a spoiler, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> episode 8 of Season 1 of Les Revenants. So I'm going to start things off with Grimm, El Kukui. My review should be up at Sound on Sight for this one, by the time you're hearing this at least, and I just wanted to mention it because... I thought it was a solid episode. I really liked the reveal of the grandma. I was so certain it was going to be the uh, the military guy. It just seemed like there was such clear foreshadowing and such clear, like, you know, uh, obvious, like, that's, it seemed like that was just so clearly where it was leading. And then I loved this little detour to the, to the sweet old nanny being the, you know, vigilante sort of uh, spirit character. Uh, I got to ask you, Simon, when is the last time you watched a genre show, particularly, or not even a genre show, a network drama, where someone reads their significant other's email, finds an email that's, that is sort of mysterious and ends with, um, love you and an initial, and then has a reasonable and very, you know, clear and honest conversation about it in the next scene? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even happen in real life. Yeah, it was this. This is this is the kind of thing that this show does well, and 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 I really really appreciate it because it doesn't turn into some weeks long melodrama, because we as viewers know that it's his mom, but she thinks his mom is dead, and with everything else that has gone on, he's kind of forgotten that he never told her that her mom, you know, that his mom didn't die when he was a child and is actually a badass grim like him. And it goes back and forth and it becomes this awesome conversation about, you know, kind of filling in some gaps in the show's history, at least from her perspective, and kind of letting new viewers in on what's going on. And it doesn't turn into any bullshit relationship drama at all. I loved it. Oh, good. Such a happy viewer when, because this is a show that, it's not a great show, but it's a solid show. And decisions like this are the little details that make it a show I enjoy tuning in for every week. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I wanted to give some props to Grimm. You can read my full my fuller thoughts up at Sound on Sight. Let's move on to Almost Human Skin and Are You Receiving? I have not yet seen the episode from last night, but this these are the episodes that I hadn't seen when we last talked about the show. Uh, I just figured I'd check in again. I'm really enjoying Mackenzie Crook on here. And of course, Michael Ely is the, st the standout by far for me on the show. Uh, the dynamic, the buddy cop dynamic works pretty well. I still have issues with the underlying themes of you know, race issues when it comes to robots because of how they are treating some of the robots. If you want that to be your analog, and that then you have to actually treat the robots like people or it immediately falls apart or kind of makes your show racist. It's weird. It's a little weird. It's <laughs> um, an interesting problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, anyways, I liked the way that they kind of steer. I, I thought the, the sex bot episode actually was a strong follow-up. It made sense. They, I liked that they just kind of got that out of the way. Like, yes, there are sex bots. And let's move forward. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the next episode, though, you know, it was nice that they steered into the skid and just did the, yes, we're trying, are trying to make our main character be John McClane, so let's just do Die Hard. There were some strong elements there. Um, it's really nice to see Emily Rios pop up. I really think that, uh, you know, they, they've done that now. Let's, now let's try to actually develop our character and make him feel like a person rather than a series of, uh, traits or quirks. And, um, and I really need to get a little bit more humor in there from from Carl Urban because it's just it's 
it is, it's a too self-serious performance. It, it needs to be a little more relaxed, I think, to really make it work. Um, but again, I'm still watching for Michael Ely and the supporting cast. It looks like they might actually do some fun stuff with Mickey Kelly. Uh, but right now, the weak point is is the lead, as much as I do enjoy that actor. Let's move on to Walking Dead Too Far Gone, which is, of course, the mid-season finale. You can find my thoughts up in our Sound Site Walking Dead podcast, which is, should already be in your iTunes feed or is available at Sound Site. But you watched it. Yeah, I heard about who died, and I was like, yeah, I I, I, I could watch that. Now, and which then, one? Did you hear about both characters who died, or just the one? Well, I, I heard about both characters, and I also heard about the the third possible character. I was like, okay, how did they cock that up? <laughs> which, which I also wanted to see. Let's be a little uh, less vague now that we've given people a chance to fast forward if they don't want to be spoiled. Uh, so which death prompted you to check in, Herschel or the governor? Uh, both, it, it, bo- in the sense that obviously I think everyone agrees. I'm sure even Scott M. Gimple agrees that they really should have killed that jerk off last year. season ago. Yeah. If not never doing him at all ever <laughs> ever uh just the scenes the never ending scenes in this episode of Rick and the governor with him standing on the tank and Rick standing around and them taking the term standoff way too literally oh my god i don't know if it was the staging or the acting or the writing or some weird combination of all three but that was almost like an avant-garde piece of comedic genius or something (laughs) it was not compelling drama at all and it should have been it should be a really big deal but the way they just keep repeating stuff we already know and going over the terms again and again when they're actually incredibly simple it's just like how is this taking 20 minutes or however much of the episode it's taking up Oh, man. Also, there was something really goofy about, uh, I, I again, I, I skipped almost the entire season, so I don't know who the, the, the governor's people are really, but the staging of that little girl's death was actually kind of goofy, I thought. Especially the way she uncovers the sign mm-hmm. and then gets bitten afterwards. The sign explaining how the zombie got there <laughs> and then the zombie coming. It was almost like a Looney Tunes cause and effect thing. It was really not the way to go with that, I don't think. Um, the actual action stuff was great, but then the whole Judith thing was either a bad idea poorly executed or a ballsy idea poorly executed or both. I'm not really sure which. Yeah, it certainly was poorly executed. That is, that is for sure. Uh, but yeah, you, you, yeah, I I think we're all pretty much on the same page on this one. You can, again, we, we were more positive at. The Ricky and myself and our guest Sean McKenna from TV Fanatic. We were more positive that it sounds like you were, but uh, but not a lot more. There's there's a lot of interesting things to discuss. So you can check out that podcast at Sound Site. Let's move on to Black Mirror: The Entire History of You, which is the season one finale. Is so is Directv going to immediately start airing season two? I believe that's how it works. Okay. Now, what did you think of this episode, and how would you rank it versus the the rest of season one? I mean. I think I think in general the, the hype for the show is slightly overblown. Like I, 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 there are things I like about each episode. I don't think any of them is a masterpiece. What I find interesting about this one is that it's definitely the hardest to watch, just because you know it's it's so much more intimate and the you know unlike last week you're not dealing with a future dystopia where people are kind of detached and aren't fully sketched out people. I hear you're really dealing with what felt to me like flesh and blood people, uh, not necessarily the pleasant kind, but still. And I think that it actually, in terms of execution, 
it was the one that seemed most fully realized in terms of having an idea and showing what the ramifications of that idea are within the context of its characters. So in that sense, it was great. In terms of actually being any fun to watch, well, <laughs> that's up to you. Yeah, this... I they, they have a really good premise, and I can definitely see how this is the episode that got optioned to be a, a feature film. However, the premise... The basic technology at the core of the premise, I think, can make a feature film. The actual story, I do not think can make a feature film because I was ready to stop watching about 15, definitely by 20 minutes in. I believe I was talking to you while I was watching it, at, and I believe I messaged you something like, can this Neanderthal just destroy his life already? Yeah, what they do mitigate that somewhat by having his admittedly insane... Um, levels of paranoia be justified, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was definitely a, 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 a an active choice on their part to make him as noxious as possible while uncovering said truths. Uh, whether or not that was an effective choice for for the viewer, again, entirely subjective. I don't think they. I don't think that Brooker and Co. Although Brooker didn't actually write this one, I believe it was Sam Bain. Uh, I, I don't think they have any illusions about the, about him being a, a good or or compassionate fellow or interesting because you are like as soon as you get a sense of of who he is and sort of where this is going, you know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, well, I mean, there's the ambiguity of whether or not he's right, and I think they could have gone either way with that. Yeah, but but you, I, whether or not he's right, I feel like I, you know, I knew what he was going to do, how he was going to behave. So either she was going to be completely, it was all going to be a figment of his imagination, and and she was you know completely un, uninvolved in this, and he's just a psycho, or she did you know sleep with another guy while they were separated. And probably because he's a psycho. <laughs> probably because he's an asshole. And, and, and the reason they were separated is because he was being psycho jealous about this other guy, Dan. And and so, you know, so either it's completely unwarranted or it's based in something. But again, she's still not really at fault. The only way she's at fault is because she didn't tell him about it. And honestly, having spent, you know, an hour with this guy, I wouldn't have told him either because he's a psycho. I would have also not gotten back together with him, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, so just because he was so predictable and completely, you know, he's he's not fun to spend time with. And I, I knew exactly where they were going and it wasn't satisfying to watch it play out. It was sort of just... Oh, God. Okay, and now he's going to freak out. Okay, and now he's going to just keep watching that same clip over and over and over again. And now, so it just, it wasn't compelling television. Yeah, I mean, I liked it more than you did, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue your points. I think they're all valid. I think, I personally, I, I just have, I have a, a certain weakness for, you know, stories of, you know, sort of really people coming apart in a detailed fashion. I mean, I I, I could watch Blue Valentine a hundred times, whereas for most people, once is enough. Uh, but yeah, I agree that he probably could have been a less. I I I like I've met people like that. Like I I I know that people like that exist, but they're not necessarily the most compelling people to spend an hour with. Let alone ninety minutes if Robert Downey Jr. does end up doing that in an yeah. unimaginative sort of remake. And and but, I feel like I should mention it wasn't even an hour. It was like forty eight minutes. Yeah. And it was still like I said, after fifteen minutes, I was like, no, we're good. 
we're good. But I but I was impressed with with the execution of the actual concept in terms of presenting it as mm-hmm. technology that could be implemented and the way people would use it. Like that and the way also it might affect people's behavior, that stuff all made sense to me. And also the actual visual was so creepy. Yeah. Oh, especially when they're uh in the sex scene. That's mm-hmm. one of the creepiest sex scenes ever. As yeah, far it, as I'm concerned. That oh. was very well executed. I was just way more interested in taking this concept and and looking at it outside of just a jealous boyfriend or, or husband in this case. How does this affect every element of their society? Because it would affect everything. If yeah. if people were constantly recording every interaction they had, we would be a completely different species. Yes. Uh, and I, I would have also liked to have sp- spent a little more time with the character who had her grain removed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and she could which... easily be your like input, yeah, like your point of view character into this new world it'd be easy to have that be you know or or at least explore her reactions to everything a little bit more yeah i agree like but i think in term it, it was an interesting idea to have such a limited perspective obviously the actual results your mileage may vary yeah oh it just occurs to me in case you don't know the the premise of this episode is that everyone has uh can record what they see and play it back there's like a, a, a digital copy of everything someone experiences in a little chip kind of thing behind their ear. And uh, they spend a lot of time showing each other their memories, even though it's implied that they say that the chip can be, you can convince yourself you've seen something just like memory is unreliable. The grain is unreliable. I thought that was interesting, but again, they don't go into that. Well, I thought they, when they were having that conversation, I thought they were talking about how regular memories work. No, they're talking about the grain too. Oh, were they? Yeah. Hmm. It was interesting. Um, I think I may have missed that detail. And there's also, of course, a black market for, for people's stolen memories, which, again, not really delved into at all, which is not, too bad. Yeah. So I can definitely, like I said earlier, I can see how this makes a movie. The the concept, I just do not want to see this specific plot. Yeah, fair enough. But I'm glad you liked it more than I did. Uh, let's move on to Les Revenants. And so we, we watched Serge et Tony, and then we were talking, and uh, especially with our upcoming uh, best of shows, which are going to c- go out in the weeks that would be the end of Les Revenants, the end of it running on television. We figured we would just finish off the show and talk about, we'll talk about in more in depth and in detail the episode from this week, but then we'll sort of also take a look at the rest of the season in a sort of vague way so we won't spoil you guys for how it ends or anything like that. First, let's start off with Serge et Tony, the, the first, the, the actual episode that aired this week. My My takeaway from this is Lena is an idiot. Yeah, well, luckily, that kind of, that particular behavioral strain kind of goes away after this episode, but yeah, she's a huge idiot in this episode, and it's always awkward when that happens on a show like this, because you you want, you, you get so angry at the character when you should be angry at the writers. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, I would say also that there are times watching Les Revenants when I start to think, does this show have a lady problem? And I was thinking about it a lot in that episode. And in general, I actually don't think it does. But mm-hmm. in that episode, I was I was thinking it could have it could have th- if they'd kept going with Lena like this, it definitely would because no one would do this. No one would wake up in a house with someone she's just learned is at least a killer, if not a serial killer, but probably a serial killer. And then stick around and bang in an attic. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. No matter how dumb. Uh, she's what, like 19? Yeah, she's 19 or, or maybe. Oh, you know, yeah, she's 19 because she was 
or 18, she was 14, and then it's four years later, right? Something like that. Yeah. She's a teenager, so obviously teenagers do stupid things. We all know this. They're hormone-driven and confused, and there's chemical warfare going on inside their bodies, and I do not envy them. But that being said, it was incredibly infuriating to watch, because I like that character. Also, uh, we were kind of split on Camille in this episode, because you by the end, you were really enjoying her, whereas I still... I like that last beat we get with her. It's far more interesting than anything else they've they've given her to this point, but it still was a little too, you know, petulant child for me. She spent too much of the episode in that in that mode. Yeah, I think that's fair because I started the episode just being really annoyed with her, but I think they do interesting things with that character both in the context of the episode and the season. I mean, eight episodes isn't a long time to probe the psychologies of people who are going through something this strange, especially for a show that moves this deliberately slowly. But I think she's probably got one of the more interesting arcs of the, of the entire season, which should we just get into it before we do a couple more things, but yes, okay. we should. Um, I, th I thought the examination of Tony made sense. I liked that sort of relationship. I don't know. They spend zero time telling us, you know, or they, they just don't seem to care why Serge doesn't kill Lena, but instead kidnaps her. Uh, that seemed kind of weird, but, you know, whatever. There's that. And uh... <laughs> we have we explore serial killers enough on TV. I don't need to spend too much more time with Serge. OK, well, I mean, I didn't even really need to spend any time with Serge, but they decided to make him a character. So, OK, um, instead of a boogeyman. And then uh, the other thing is the. Um, in this episode, we have a little bit more with with Adele and um, and the daughter, and uh, just like the, again, I, the fact that she finds out that her husband or fiance, I should say, has been spying on her for two years and her daughter with cameras in every room, and she's like, "Thanks, sweetie." <laughs> that really contributes to oh, the lady no. problems of this episode. Yeah, it's it's definitely the the most lady problems the episode, but. Yeah, Adele is is a tricky character. They they seem to do slightly different things with her every week, but um, yeah, <laughs> I find it interesting how the this is the, like you would think that the surveillance that you know, the rise of the surveillance state would get more depiction on TV, especially American television, and yet the show that seems to have it most omnipresent is this European horror series. I find that very strange, and and the way it's it the way it's integrated into almost every episode, I think is is interesting, and and the way it doesn't really affect any like everyone just seems to take it as just a, a, a you know a matter of factly it's just it's just how things are. Even Adele doesn't freak out when she finds out her and her kids have been watched for two years, at least not for more than five minutes. I find that interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, let let's dive into the rest of the season. When we got to the end, I was. Uh, somewhat disenchanted with the season and ready to definitely take a break. I don't know if I'm going to come back for season two. Uh, I think the, the earlier parts of the, of the season are by far the most interesting. They introduce a lot of mysteries and they don't, they don't feel the need to solve them and that's okay. I don't need them to be solved, but certain specific elements are completely dropped that either, if they if we don't find out that they are significant elements moving on and that's why they weren't explained, I'm going to have a problem with them. So there's there's just too many sort of um, lingering elements, I guess. I don't want to because no spoilers, right? Um, that that I, I was getting a little frustrated with that. And also the show, at least in my opinion, kind of branches away from its more interesting roots as 
what is a very you know realistic and grounded you know regular world where then people start coming back who were dead i came to the conclusion midway through the series that it's like if under the dome were good it's it it has so much of the shared like they don't technically live under a dome but they might as well because everyone talks about leaving town but no one ever does it mm-hmm. and everyone has horrible secrets and you know obviously there's a, there's an overtly supernatural thing happening that no one has an explanation for mm-hmm. and etc like this the structure and even some aspects of the character design are kind of similar with the except, I mean, the clear difference is that the caliber of the direction and acting and some of the writing and the cinematography and the music are so much higher, so very much higher, uh, so much so that I'm already dreading the the remake if that ends up happening. So so many things that they're just not going to do as well. But it it is interesting how I I said that and then literally I feel like by that last episode it feels like I'm watching a Stephen King miniseries. Like, it feels like I'm watching, like, an offshoot of Storm of the Century or something, as opposed to what I was watching earlier. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I agree that something does get lost from one end of the season to the other. I'll be very curious to see if they pivot more. Like, I could see them starting the next season a couple years later, and they've settled into a different order of things. Let's just put it that way. I think that's actually maybe the better option. But on the, on, in that in that case, you're risking, you know, dropping a whole lot of other elements. So I don't know. I will say that I think that Victor might be the most interesting character of the entire season for any show. I'm, I'm fascinated by Victor. Although whether or not the show's ever going to try to explain that, I really don't know. And I'm not sure I care. I just feel like they did such a great job casting that actor because he's so creepy and interesting to watch. And did I mention he's creepy? But he's also also sympathetic. Yes. Well, because he's a kid, and kids can't not be sympathetic. Yes, they can. They can be not sympathetic. Okay. I guess it helps if they're not, like, creepy and Aryan, but (laughs) still. Yeah. No, he he also, he feels like a kid until he doesn't. Yes. And then he feels like a kid again, like when he's on the trampoline. The most most disconcerting moment of the whole season is when he's on the trampoline because you're like, oh, my God, Victor's actually a kid. Yeah. Until he stops jumping and then something else creepy happens. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Now, uh, where does Victor rate in TV kids this season? Because right now the ones that come immediately come to my mind as my favorite TV kids of the year are Tui and Max. Tui, Max, um... Oof. I mean, the, the the trouble is Victor's the only one who's not literally just a kid. He's yeah. like a whole other thing, we think, but we're not really sure what. He, so he, and he's also, he hasn't had enough as much time as Max to develop as a character or for us to, I guess Victor doesn't really develop. We just kind of learn more about him and we just, which is another interesting difference. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say the same of Tui. I feel like he definitely ranks up there, but I'm, I'll, I'll he's the main reason he and, uh, and of course, Lucy, who becomes another pivotal character who we learn more about, but doesn't necessarily change. You know, I, I, again, like we get a Lucy episode, but we don't actually learn anything about Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how random the episode titles are because if it were any other series, you'd be, you'd be getting like an expo dump on those characters in that episode. Like, nope. Nope. And I think that's ultimately what I enjoyed most about the show is it, it did a lot of zigging where you think it'll zag and it just seemed to defy logic in its construction a lot of the time. And sometimes it was infuriating, but it was always interesting. 
Yeah, and there's definitely a lot that I really enjoyed about this this season of of television. I'm glad that I watched it. Obviously, I watched four episodes this week, so if it was bothering me too much, I would have stopped. Dude, we but... watched four of them at night. <laughs> well, there's that, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's not anywhere near my top 20. When I'm thinking of the shows that – because I've started to ponder for that, and there's too many options, and it's going to explode my brain trying to decide on that. But this isn't one that, for me, is in the running. Is it in the running for you? I, it's in the running. It's, if we're extending it to 20, yeah, it's in the running. There's There were too many images that I enjoyed too much for me not to consider it. And I'm a big proponent of mood, and I think that this is a show that has a particularly good command of it. Now, how does this relate to you? Because you also watched The Killing this season. That's another show known very much for its atmosphere. How does this relate to the, to the killing for you? Well, the the killing does the opposite of the show where, yes, it's good at mood and it looks great and all that, but it also is never surprising. I mean, it, it, can, it can have a moment here and there that's kind of surprising, but as in terms of overall direction, it tends to do everything is surprising which stops being surprising after a couple of episodes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's nothing unpredictable or chaotic about its approach at all. Okay. Fair enough. Well, what wins your week in genre? Um, for, for commanding four hours in one day, I'll give it to the return. <laughs> um, huh. I wasn't hugely bowled over by any of these. Um, but yeah, I'll also give it to, to the returned, uh, I liked the episode from last week, I think, the best. But I'll give it to Serge Tony from, from Les Revenants. Do you have a particular episode you're going to give it to? Um, I th I think the penultimate episode was quite good. Okay. Especially for just the mounting dread. The, the actual resolution had some issues, but the mounting dread was good. Okay, cool. So now a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Kyle Anderson of The Nerdist talking about Freakazoid. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org talking about this podcast. You can leave us your thoughts there about the week's television and uh, what you thought of everything. You can also, of course, contact us by email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And you can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound on Sight TV and all of the best of 2013 lists that will surely be popping up soon. You can also find the podcast in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And then, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howl. And what is our question of the week? Well, I feel like people's, I mean, TV lists have already started to come out, which is silly. So silly. Which is stupid and wrong. Although some people have Treme screeners, so I guess that's okay. Which I'm also, I shake my fist at you. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just curious, since we're getting to the end of the year, is there a show that is celebrated either by us or by the you know general TV, entertainment, media, press, that just you just do not get the appeal of? Hmm. Good question. Because I feel like I've, I've read some, some, you know, like Matt Seller sites wrote that thing about Boardwalk Empire that I mentioned last week, and I know some people absolutely adored this season. I'm just like, eh, mm. really, guys? Yeah. Really, you adored it? Yeah, because that's the first came to mind for me, because I know a lot of people really loved it, and they're saying it's the best ever season of Boardwalk Empire, which has just made me not want to watch the other seasons. And again, not that it's bad. It's a good show. It's just, it's beautiful and amazing performances, but I just don't care about the characters, and so that's just not the kind of show that I most want to watch. Let me think, what comes to mind? 
I guess it would be right now Black Mirror and maybe Les Revenants because I enjoyed them. But people are talking about it as like one of the best shows of the entire year, like a highlight of the year. And it's nowhere near that for me. So while I'm enjoying it, it's I am seem to be out of step with what other people are saying. All right. Let us know what you think. It's a good question. I'm going to keep thinking about that. Yeah. Well, now we'll uh, take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Kyle Anderson of The Nerdist and what WTF are you watching to talk Freakazoid. Terror. Terror in the night. The whipping, howling, unforgiving winds crash into the clouds, and rain falls no matter where you turn. There is no escape. No escaping the true horror. A sudden silence, and then screaming thunder, lightning, floods, tornadoes, famine, pestilence, fire, earthquake! Giving way to hazy afternoon sunshine. I'll be back with a five-day forecast after this. Super Team Extraordinary, Freakazoid, Freakazoid, runs around in underwear, Freakazoid. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're getting our animation on once again. And it's making me such a happy, such a happy Kate. Uh, we're going to talk Freakazoid. And here to help us with that is podcaster from WTF Are You Watching and many other shows as well as contributor to Nerdist.com, Kyle Anderson. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here to talk about Freakazoid, which is a show that I think more people need to watch. What made you want to talk about the show specifically? Well, this is one that when I was a kid, um, it hit me, hit me right funny bone. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing. Um, but no, it was like right in, uh, it came out in what, 95 or 6, I think, 95. So like that was, I was 11 at that point. So it was right in my formative comedy brain. And I was, I was big into you know, Warner Brothers animation at the time anyway with Animaniacs and things uh, and Batman, of course. Um, but uh, Freakazoid, for some reason, just really every every joke kind of landed with me. And um, it's one of the few shows that I bought on DVD as an adult and think is as funny, if not funnier than when I was a kid. I, I, I lament the fact that one of my favorite shows when I was younger was Darkwing Duck, and it is terrible now. Like I can't it's it's nigh unwatchable because it's just so not funny. Um, and that really made me sad. But Freakazoid is, and Animaniacs are two that really, really um, still hold up really well. But Freakazoid specifically was one that I always thought should have gotten more attention than it did. Note to self, do not rewatch Darkwing Duck because I loved that as a kid. It was, oh, it was so sad. I was so excited to buy those DVDs when they came out when, five, six years ago. And it was just like every episode was a dud. And I was so upset. 
Well, uh, I did not actually watch Freakazoid when I was younger. I watched Animaniacs religiously and, mm-hmm. and also um, also Pinky and the Brain, of course. Sure. And, and I'm sure I must have seen an episode at some point, but it didn't immediately catch me the way that, that Animaniacs did and Tiny Toon Adventures and the rest of its sort of family of animation. Um, and look, watching it now, maybe... Maybe it's because it is just so heightened and random, and even in a way that it's it's like a to the next degree after Animaniacs. And so I think I just wasn't like ready for it. I didn't necessarily get what it was doing. And so it was really fun to go back and watch it and and get a sense of of what the show was. And I can absolutely see how several of my friends' uh, comedic understandings and and just sense of humor have clearly been shaped by this show. I think it's very much a show of sort of our generation of kids. If you were a kid and you watched Freakazoid and you, you really liked the show, I think uh, you're a certain kind of person and I've grown up and become your friend because it, (laughs) it really, I think it's like a cultural touchstone for such a, for such a, you know, underseen show. It only lasted two seasons. Like you said, it wasn't on very long and it was sort of the underappreciated, you know, show in that family. I mean, I didn't appreciate it enough as a kid. Um, so, so I think it actually has just a really interesting and distinct comedic style, and and I really enjoyed sort of discovering that. Simon, what was your relationship with Freakazoid? I watched a lot of Freakazoid as a kid. I think actually probably the reverse of you, Kate. I, or I probably watched about an equal amount of Animaniacs and Freakazoid, and then a little bit less Pinky in the Brain. I always found Pinky in the Brain a little bit more formulaic, but we'll have to get there. When we eventually do a pinky in the brain shelf, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. But it's interesting to, to like, there were certain things about Freakazoid that I really retained, certain jokes, certain moments, and some things that I completely forgot about. I completely forgot that Freakazoid had an origin story. <laughs> I, I completely forgot that he could even change back from Freakazoid to, to Dexter Douglas. I'd completely forgotten about Dexter Douglas as a character, and he's, in, he's actually in it quite a lot. I'd forgotten about all that. I forgot about all the first season sort of side shows mm-hmm. that like with the Huntsman and, uh, and fat man and all these characters, which on rewatch, that was the stuff that I really struggled with the most, especially the lawn gnome segment, which I have no idea what that was about. <laughs> uh, I mean, I get that it was a gargoyles joke, but there's, they, they, they parodied gargoyles twice. So they must've really had something against them. Oh well, um, yeah. Well, that was a show that that came out right at that that same time, and I think Gargoyles was doing way better than Freakazoid was, and they were, well, at least where I grew up, they were on the same channel. Um, the Kids WB was on. Yep. Uh, and and then like in the afternoon, it would be Disney program. So it was yeah, like and Gargoyles went on forever. Yeah, it did. Um. So yeah, I, I guess that's why that happened. So there was things that didn't work for me on rewatch, but I was happy that for the most part, the humor landed. It's interesting that so much of the humor is so, especially in those first, I don't know, six or seven episodes, is, is so dependent on having some knowledge of the time period. I mean, it, it's such a specific time period. Like, there's there's a Princess Die appearance that's meant to be funny, and yeah, <laughs> now no, maybe not so much. I do think that I I prefer the the second season just because I I think that the the single story structure forces them to really fill time, which leads to some really hilarious digressions. But uh, but I, I did overall have a have a pretty fun experience and and the and I I guess tying into the gargoyles thing something that I would never have picked up on as a kid 
is that there's there's a layer of almost resentment to a lot of the, like sort of inside baseball and the entertainment industry resentment going on in a lot of these jokes, right down to the bizarreness of getting Jack Valenti to make a cameo, which that has to be the greatest thing he ever did. Oh, it has. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have even known who Jack Valenti was as a kid if not for that. And then, but also, yes, it's silly when he's talking about the the different ratings system, you know, the different ratings and things. But it it actually taught me. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I actually retained that for a really long time. But th- that's just a case of uh, Jack Valenti was friends with Steven Spielberg. It yeah, helps when Steven even, Spielberg is your exact producer. Yeah, he even makes that explicit in the appearance. What I what I always found weird is the people they managed to get on, but they never actually have Spielberg on. They have some guy doing the voice of Spielberg. I always found that strange. Yeah, that was a, th- a hold holdover from Animaniacs too, because Spielberg showed up a few times in Animaniacs, and he just was never. It was always that guy, whoever that guy is, who did the voice. Um, I, I don't know offhand, but yeah, there's you know you got Ed Asner as Cosgrove, who is yes. says some of the best lines ever. You've got um, uh, Ricardo Montalban as Gutierrez, the bad guy, who uh, I just finished moments ago. Finished watching the the Revenge of Gutierrez or the Return, I forget which. Um, and he <laughs> Freakazoid keeps calling him a weenie. And I've said this to my brother for years. Like to this day, I still say this. But I go, you're such a weenie. And then <laughs> Gutierrez goes, uh, I am not a weenie. You are the weenie. Which is just the greatest line, I think, <laughs> in the history of lines. I was shocked to discover that that's, that that was actually Ricardo Montalban and not just a sound alike. Yeah. That was such a get for them. There's a lot of really great voice acting. The one that stands out to me is – and and – like I said, I, I didn't, I don't actually remember watching Freakazoid as a kid, but I must have seen a couple episodes because I actively remembered the lobe. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and of course, that's David Warner, who yeah. was also a, just a very significant figure in my childhood pop culture from his appearance in T- Turtles 2, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. And so having him play another lab coat clad character this time as super villain uh was just sort of delightful and wonderful and uh that that character really st- stayed somewhere in my memory uh so it was fun to, to to see but also to hear him pop up mm-hmm. yeah and craig ferguson also mm-hmm. had yes uh, an early appearance as roddy mcstew the mentor which who was who was always saying crud <laughs> um which is just hysterical yeah and it the villains on this speaking of the lobe were are really interesting and well you know most of them i mean some of them are just you know a one joke like arms akimbo could not be on more than once (laughs) (laughs) definitely not um or i can't even think of some of the other ones like um but gutierrez and candlejack was obviously fairly um indelible and the lobe and um (laughs) there's ones that are just jokes like invisibo (laughs) or um I mean, cave guy is a very simple yeah. thing, uh, but but it's it's a giant thuggish, you know, caveman guy who's blue and who subscribes to the New Yorker, uh, and mm-hmm. that's that that's the joke. That's it. And yet, I still laugh pretty much every time he he shows up. I also appreciate that there's some jokes that I just don't get and might never. For instance, maybe you'll know Kyle, but in the final episode. There's this running gag about a character named Jocko, who is credited as being played by Jock. What's up with that? Because he just appears as Jocko in the credits. Well, uh, that was always, I don't know. I, I think that was just a joke because it's funny to hear Ricardo Montalban say, laugh with me, Jocko. I, I think that's the entirety of it. But, but who is Jocko? 
He's just Jocko in the credits. Well, who's, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see a glimpse of that weird, tiny character who looks, like, strung out. Um, mm-hmm. And his name's, in the credits, is Emmett Nervend. And he's not, he's in every episode, and he's nothing. He's just a, a visual gag. I always, for some reason, in my brain, I remember the image of Emmett Nervend. And for some reason, in my brain, I always thought he came from Bizarro Comics. And so, rewatching this, I was surprised to see he came from Freakazoid. So now my my inner child is very confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they 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 really did a good job of you know like like you said, Kyle, developing. They actually have a pretty solid rogues gallery mm-hmm. for for this show. Um, it's better than some far more established, uh, you know, superhero kind of characters. Um, but but also just the the visual style of each of these. They, they look individual, but they fit within the world. And uh, you know, unlike something. You know, like a show like Batman the Animated Series, which we've talked about on the on the DVD shelf, which has an amazing rogues gallery. They all fit very distinctly into the um, sort of Art Deco design of that show. And uh, while all the rogues gallery fit very much into the feel of Freakazoid, I think they they look a little more distinct to me. Mm-hmm. There's a little more variation, and that's partially that's just because it's such a silly, ridiculous show you can go you can really you know go to very different ends of the heightened spectrum um, where yeah. you need a little more reality in a show like like Batman the animated series but uh but they they have a lot of fun with with these characters the other you know it's another another element to the comedy that I really appreciated uh and I don't know that I would have appreciated this as a kid I probably wouldn't even though I did listen to a bunch of WGN I think my my single favorite joke in the whole thing uh, is the sort of recurring, and that's the rest of the backstory. Oh, sure. Yes. Paul Harvey, yeah. Yeah. Always <laughs> funny. I think I nearly died when I was watching <laughs> that. And it and it's such a simple line, and it's such a simple gag, but I grew up with Paul Harvey on the radio, uh, whether I liked it or not. And uh, and so to kind of, you know, some of the, there's just such specific jokes throughout and uh yeah. they're not for the they're not for the kids though the kids would probably laugh they don't they know it's funny they don't know why uh so again it's that same mix like we talked about with the tick like we talked about uh with with some of these other animated shows of for the kids and not for the kids yeah i mean that was definitely something like mystery science theater also is a good example because that's that's a very a lot of their references are very specific and i grew up in colorado so i was kind of just outside the sphere of a lot of those references and um the I I knew the reference and then as an adult would like figure out what, you know, like, oh, I know what that is now because of this reference or whatever. Like it, it would always the the joke would always stick in my head more than if someone just told me who Paul Harvey was. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. um now, you know, the rest of the backstory, I say to people and good day is like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. excited. Yeah. Guys. And I mean, I'm Canadian. I have no idea who Paul Harvey is. You explaining it to me, Kay, is the first time I've heard it, but it's still a great cutaway. It's a good gag. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you get the references. But I but I do think there's certainly a lot that benefits from, from knowing things about the period. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I mean, all the inside industry and also sort of nerdy gags. Like, uh, one of the things that I would have never gotten as a kid but got a big laugh out of me this time was in the in the fanboy episode. Uh, the the line something along the lines of you could have your very own Harlan Ellison, <laughs> which that may have gotten the biggest laugh out of me, and I definitely would not have gotten that as a kid. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> at that point too, it was like uh, the just written script for Batman f- three four. or four. It was four, Batman yeah, four, yeah. Um, 
which as a kid, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then a couple years later, I was like, well, now there is a Batman 4. And I bet the fake one in that show would have been better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's so, it's so interesting that they were like not, not concerned about, well, you know, a, a 10 to 15 year olds probably not going to understand this, but the 22 year olds who are up <laughs> in the morning watching this are totally going to get it. I think that's, that's my favorite kind of humor is it, people trying to make themselves laugh. Because that usually, to me anyway, kind of translates, unless it's all inside jokes, but, you know, if what you think is funny is generally going to translate to at least the audience that you're going for. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that Ricardo Montalban stopping his evil plan for a minute just to play you bloopers from old movies <laughs> and narrate them to you for, I think, a solid two to three minutes, I think that's just inherently funny. Regardless of your age. Well, and there's a, there's a lot of those diversions. Every time Freakazoid goes to have a mint or watch mm-hmm. a bear drive a motorcycle. Yeah, with Cosgrove, those, those all work for me. And, uh, but I think as a kid, because just of his, my temperament, temperament, it was too fractured. I couldn't, so I had trouble, you know, I, I couldn't uh, appreciate it. And and uh, as an adult watching it, it, it was entertaining the number of times when, uh, for example, when, when Freakazoid doesn't want to go into the sewer and then eventually does because, as he tells the, the camera, if I don't, the story just kind of sits there. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's, that was probably, I, I can imagine that was my reaction as a kid to Freakazoid. I'm like, he's not going into the sewer. It's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> Whereas as an adult, you can see how clearly they're they're playing with that and really having fun with that. And uh, so, yeah, I just think I wasn't ready for this show yeah. as a kid. For some reason, that's the single episode that stayed the most in my brain. It's not necessarily the best episode, but it's got a lot of good gags. And it, yeah. But on the other on the other hand, it completely relies on the effectiveness of of the term poo gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Well, and then they brought it back later because I thought it was that episode and, and I was like, oh, that's not that one. So it must be a season two episode where they bring back the term Pugas and Cosgrove says to uh, Roddy McStew, what do they call Pugas in Scotland? And his answer is crud vapors. And that <laughs> I still say crud vapors whenever something smells. I don't think I got to that one. I would have remembered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so funny. And uh, I love and that's great, too. Once you get to a certain point, because it only did last two seasons, but they started having inside jokes within the show and those are always fun to pay off. You know, they, in the opening credits, you'd see the face of, uh, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. When he's like playing the xylophone on all the bad guys heads. And for, I was always like, well, why is he there? Like, it's just a joke that it's Lon Chaney Jr. And then of course he shows up, uh, Lonnie Talbot (laughs) and is, you know, that and that's a really great episode that was written by Paul Dini the one the House of Freakazoid episode um where he just keeps grabbing uh, Dexter Douglas by the lapels and being like you don't understand <laughs> yeah how have we gotten this far and not talked about the music i was about to go there i love the music on this yeah. show and i and i got i got to admit the uh, the freakazoid theme song is which is crazy catchy uh, it goes on a little too long for my taste because again, I, I, it's, it's even a little, I think it's, it's just a little too random for me, but it's going to be stuck in my head all damn day. Sure. I know it. It's <laughs> already, I can feel it's going to be in there. Uh, I'm sure you guys have some thoughts on, on the theme song and, and the music as well. Like I didn't remember the theme song. I didn't really remember the show outside of apparently the lobe, but I remembered Freakazoid. 
Freakazoid. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also, watching it now, uh, of course, as a classical violinist, I loved how much amazing, fun classical music is sprinkled throughout the show. Almost every episode has at least one, you know, very uh, famous and beautiful theme from classical music somewhere woven into its score. And mm-hmm. so, of course, I had an extra appreciation of that. But uh, even just in the, the, the final episode with all of its references to Amadeus and uh, the other, uh, this is just a really fun mix of, of original scoring, but very inspired by many of my favorite classical pieces. I, I was I was actually disappointed when the second season dropped the musical interludes. At least I don't remember any that you know Freakazoids like he'll go, he'll go out on stage and just play something on the piano, some, sometimes semi competently, but usually not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it'll just again stop the episode dead in its tracks for a minute or two, and then it's over. They, I, I don't remember seeing any of those in season two, but yeah, there's so many great music moments. Besides, I mean, there's the score, and also one of my favorite episodes is the season two premiere. Uh, Dexter's Date, which features a huge musical number with the Loeb and and Freakazoid as Louis Armstrong, it's quite it's pretty out there. Uh, that is a good, and that this came right at the time, right in that that kind of early '90s, early to mid '90s Renaissance, I guess, for Warner Brothers, where they went back to using full orchestra to score their their shows. And you can and, hear it. Yeah. And it and it works and obviously in Animaniacs and and Tiny Toon Adventures all did that and Batman the Animated Series really benefited from that, um, and and here they kind of they know that that's a thing and so then they use it as jokes which I think is just the show all over they're like well, yeah let's take this very famous piece of music and use it here in this middle you know in the middle of this ridiculous episode or like. Um, the the dun 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 type of music is really really big and like bombastic and it always it always makes me laugh and it always punctuates the scene just exactly the way that it should um, because they could do it and and I think that that's if if you can do something for for comedy purposes there's no reason not to and they had all this you know they had the music at their disposal so yeah throw it in see what sticks the the arc of american animation music or cartoon music is uh actually i think a really fascinating one to follow from the the early days uh, earlier days of animation with you know Walt Disney and also the Warner Brothers you know you see you have your Tom and Jerry's and you have uh your your silly symphonies and all that there's a lot of really amazing animation uh, animation music uh from back in back in the day and then you get to like you get to Flintstones and you get to then a li- little, little bit later you get into Scooby-Doo and it's all the music is terrible and they have no money and it's I did a whole project on animation music in school. Uh, so I have a very strong affinity for it. And then when you get into the – so, so kind of like all the creativity and the really the fun goes away with the budget. When there's not the money, it all kind of goes away. So when when in the 90s you had this resurgence with – starting with Tiny Toon Adventures but also Animaniacs and here in Freakazoid, um, which sort of blossomed further, you know, with, with Family Guy, which uses – you know, has a lot of really great, great – um, you know, inspired by classic television kind of music um, as well as, you know, many of the shows now it's just it's a beautiful thing for me I, I have that really strong connection to animation music and to hear it you know that that especially the the all the history that goes with it with the specific choices that the you know the score is making and like you said Kyle the the beats that can be punctuated so perfectly uh with with that lush score it's 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 an extra treat for me mm. it, it's just it, it really fills out 
a cartoon show. You know, I, 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 there's a bunch of old older cartoons that I watched when I was a kid that are on, you know, uh, in various forms now that I, you can watch. And um, kind of the same way that Darkwing Duck doesn't hold up uh, comedically, a lot of them don't hold up musically at all because it's all just a guy and the synthesizer. And, you yeah. know, I, I'm obviously a fan of Doctor Who, so I'm, I know that that is fairly common in low-budget shows where you just kind of have a couple of people doing you know, doing what they can. Um, but when you have stuff like the Warner brothers cartoons that use it so great when they don't, especially now it's like, Oh, well it just, it just feels more hollow. It doesn't feel like it's a, it's a fully formed cartoon at that point. Definitely. Were there any other, uh, musical moments that, that stood out for you guys? There are a lot of those themes like that. The Huntsman theme, for example, (laughs) is just a thing of beauty. The Huntsman theme is longer than the actual Huntsman cartoon, which is my favorite thing about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it, it's just it's it's fantastic, and I love just the whole design of that character. That, that's probably one of those characters, Simon, that that you were mentioning didn't necessarily always work for you, but he's the standout for me of those season one kind of characters. I enjoyed when they popped up, by the way, in season two, saying, "So, how are we going to be involved?" In the season <laughs> at the commission it was wonderful. But yeah, there's, you know, just the attention, the specificity in some of those, you know, individual yeah. character themes are a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of uh, Lord Bravery. Uh, I, I <laughs> thought that one actually could have been its own TV show because it's, or because I just thought it was hysterical. And I think he was only in maybe two or three times. Um, but his, that kind of Gilbert and Sullivan style theme song, I thought really worked. Um, mm-hmm. He's the British superhero, he's Lord Bravery, um, which was really funny. And obviously, the, having him be basically a Basil Fawlty with a cape, which I thought was really great. Um, yeah. Uh, the And actually a really specific one that they, I think, only did once was the Toby Danger kind of cutaway. Um, I don't think that cartoon particularly works, but um, obviously they're they're making fun of or, you know, parroting Johnny Quest. Uh, and the theme music and, and title sequence to Toby Danger is like spot on. It is absolutely perfect. And the music they got, I think works better as a parody than like the Venture Brothers does, even though that's kind of kind of doing the same thing. Um, I just, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Obviously this is a show that only lasted two seasons. Uh, it's only 24 episodes, which if people want to catch up with it, it makes it very handy. It's very Indeed. manageable catch up, but clearly this show did not catch on in the way that some of the other animated series, you know, the WB animation kind of series did. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on why that is? Oh, I think that's been fairly well covered. I, I think it was just one step too far inside the heads of its creators as opposed to, you know, the Animaniacs generally had pretty clear parodic hooks, and Piggy and the Brain had a very clear story hook every week. They make it very explicit, and it, I think it made it, it made every episode an easy entry point. But Freakazoid, you know, did little things with serialization and little things with, you know, in, inside, inside jokes and all sorts of things that I think the dimmer kids may have had. Yeah. <laughs> may, may not have been able to, to, to sink their teeth into in the same way. And I feel like Animaniacs was broader in its appeal just because it was it was more for younger people. And like the jokes, I think, still absolutely hold up. And some of them are funnier now than they were. But like the colorfulness of the characters and the kind of outwardly cartoony goofiness uh, of that still still can, you know, work for a younger audience. But Freakazoid, you kind of like it's parodying shows for that little bit older age group and that group 
generally didn't want to watch a silly show. They were like, if they wanted to watch a superhero show, they would have watched X-Men or Batman or, you know, because then, then Warner Brothers tried it again with a superhero show, that show Road Rovers. I don't know if you guys ever remember that show nope. um, where the dogs of the presidents of or, you know, prime ministers or whatever got turned into like um, anthropomorphic superheroes and would go out and fight. And it lasted maybe a season. Um, but I was reading up on that. It sounded insane. It, it was pretty weird. Um, you know, you had the president of the United States dog and the British prime minister's dog and like just all, and they're from obviously they're different breeds and they're di from different, you know, uh, countries. And that one really didn't work because that was trying to be like the superhero team, team up type of show, but it was silly. And yeah, that one really fall, f fell flat. But, um, yeah, it was just, it freaks out just kind of landed right in that, that spot where they, they had to do it quickly. So they didn't have time to like test it. And so it was, they were just kind of off and running, kind of writing just what they could and making themselves laugh. Um, and it was, it was right in between, you know, fell right in the middle of a bunch of different, uh, Venn diagrams and it just didn't, didn't catch on, which is unfortunate because I think something like that today would really work. If, you know, it would be on Adult Swim probably, but it would totally work. Yeah, this felt more to me like it would be a piece with, I don't know, like an Invader Zim or something like that as opposed to putting it on after Animaniacs. It's, while it makes sense because they're both, you know, from Steven Spielberg and there's definitely some ties there, I, I, I think that it's, it's for a different audience, like you mm -hmm. guys are saying. And so people who liked Animaniacs may not have liked... Um, may not have been open to a show like Freakazoid and, and vice versa. And so maybe it suffered a bit, a bit from that, but it really is such a, such a bizarre and fun, fun show. And, and I guess for me, like the, 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 the more specific the references, the, the more I enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. And so when you have something like, the, like the Wolfman transitioning from, st you know, via stills, yeah. even though it's animated, that, that, those are the kind of things that, that really worked for me. But as a kid, I wouldn't have gotten that. I wouldn't have, you know, had that cultural reference point. And so maybe it just was in the wrong time slot or, you know, being, maybe people also weren't necessarily as used to animation for, adults or just not as uh, it was okay to like animation you know as an adult uh in the, in the early 90s so it may have just been a little ahead of its time yeah and it got moved around the schedule a lot too so even people who wanted to find it probably couldn't find it because it was on in the mornings and then it was on the afternoons and then it was you know it was hard and then they moved it to cartoon network i want to say maybe yeah. um I and mean, that was just to show it again. But like, I remember seeing some episodes that I didn't see the first time when they were shown on Cartoon Network um, or Nickelodeon. I really can't remember what's, what channel it was. But um, but yeah, they they could they could have uh, marketed it to older kids, but they didn't think to or they didn't know that that was a thing that older kids would have watched. And I think it just just because I was at the right age where I would just put on Kids WB and just sit and watch that uh, I found it and, like, really clung to it. Definitely. Well, do we have any final thoughts, favorite episodes, any other elements we want to discuss? I think we should have a quick straw poll. Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Freakazoid, just the theme songs. Mm. Just try ranking them. Um, I feel like Animaniacs has to be number one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm biased 
but I would go Animaniacs and Peaky and the Brain. Like, they kind of switch depending on the day. And uh, and then Freakazoid, just because I have that stronger attachment for, for my childhood. But I think the uh, Freakazoid theme song is actually really good. So that, that's sort of like picking between, you know, number one, number 1.5, and 1.5B. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to put Pinky in the Brain last, if only because I have the lowest recall. Like, I, I could sing. Oh, I can sing that whole thing I, right I, now. I could, I could at least hum the entire Animaniacs theme song, but not the Pinky in the Brain one. I have a ridiculous retention for cartoon theme songs. Like, I think I know every word to every cartoon theme song I ever watched. Um, so, yeah, I but I do find myself singing the Freakazoid theme more than I do any of the other ones. Uh, oh, there you go. Which is weird, but mostly because <laughs> I have that DVD and I don't have the other DVDs. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I put... I mean, I guess Animaniacs is the more, indel- you know, indelible, but I would go Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Pink in the Brain, I guess, if if, if pressed. <laughs> if you have to. Yeah. What okay. about Tiny Toon Adventures? Where would we put that one? Tiny Toon Adventures, come and join the fun. And I've never watched Tiny Toon Adventures. Did you never? Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. I did. Oh, come yeah, on. I did too. It's good stuff. Yes. <laughs> At least I don't remember watching it. That was the, the progenitor of all those other ones. Yep, definitely. Well, do we have any other other final thoughts, Simon or Kyle? Um, I think if you're going to watch an episode, um, you should watch the two part, the chip, which is the origin story is really good. Um, and that kind of, I mean, that's got the Jack Villani stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, but I think the cloud is also a really great episode. Um, that's where Freakazoid has to go up into the, I think it's the Alps to, to stop an evil cloud that's turning people into clown zombies. (laughs) Um, and it's there's just so many ridiculous jokes in there. Like he meets like the creepy um, foreign, you know, uh, the informant, I guess. Yes. So he meets him there and he and the guy goes, we must go. It is not safe to linger here after nightfall. And he's like, but it's day. And the guy goes, all right, then we can linger for a moment. OK, let's go. So <laughs> it's just jokes like that that I, I still think are really funny. So those would be the ones that I would recommend starting with if you've never seen any of them yeah the episode i would point to i think uh simon you already mentioned it is dexter's date i think that was the one i enjoyed the most um just for that whole hello dolly sequence and i thought thought i had a really nice sense of whimsy and and fun um but yeah there's a i mean i'm really grateful kyle that you picked the freakazoid uh because i i just got to discover the show that i had completely missed and given my affinity for the w- the kids WB growing up, uh, that was that was that was wrong. So I'm glad that I've now filled in that gap. So thank you, Kyle, so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at functional nerd. Uh, you can read anything that I write, which is a lot of stuff on nerdist.com. Um, I just finished a, a big, huge, extensive 33 part history of Doctor Who. Um, and now I feel empty. Uh, and you can listen to my podcast, WTF Are You Watching, where um, my friend Lincoln and I watch weird movies that we find on Netflix and talk about them. Um, and you can find that at WTFAreYouWatching.Libson.com or in iTunes. Now, Kyle, do you feel empty because you wrote it or because you're done writing it? Because I'm done. I, it, okay. it, it's it's finished. I <laughs> I had I had I wrote 33 big, huge articles, probably longer than my editor was expecting um, about every season of Doctor Who starting in late August and finishing the Friday previous to the 50th anniversary. So, uh, but now, yeah. So now I'm like, I don't know what to write now. I identify with that. I've along with a couple of our other writers, uh, but mostly I took this on myself. 
writing profiles of every doctor and companion and yeah. ally in the but it, writing all of that in the span of November. Uh, so oh, oh. yeah, it's been yeah. a project. So good times, lots of great Doctor Who content over at Nerdist, and uh, and lots of really. Fun. I I was enjoying reading some of. Uh, so, so some of those different uh, season and, and era write-ups. They might have been reference documents for some of my profiles, if I'm well, honest. Well, well. Yes. Hmm. But again, thank you, Kyle, so much for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.